Welcome, fellow football fanatics. I'm your host, Fred, the NFL Always Offseason GM, and this is going to be episode two of the Pound the Table podcast, where we introduce our State Your Case segment, where we get to go into a deep dive on why Mac Jones and the Patriots is a better destination than Justin Fields landing in Chicago with the Bears and Matt Nagy. So make sure you stick around for that in the second part of the segment. And the first part is going to be any updates on recent transactions, NFL news. I know it's a little bit of a slow time here with the draft being in the rearview mirror and basically looking ahead to OTAs. So we'll go into some of the information that's been coming out recently. So let's get after it. So we will start off with the Aaron Rodgers saga. It has another leg to it, and uh, I'm sure everybody's at this point is almost pretty much sick of hearing about it because uh, it seems like every day there's there's new information released, and uh, we're going to put out a new article basically summarizing everything for everybody on what's all come out to this point. I know it's only been six days, but there's there's a pretty hefty sum of information that's been spilled out by multiple sources across the league. So we're going to kind of put that all in one area and add a, a little bit of our own speculation, what we think Rodgers is going to do and what makes sense after looking at his contract situation. But essentially what came out this past week was that Adam Schefter uh, sat down with Dan Patrick on his show, uh, the legendary Dan Patrick on one of his morning shows, and basically broke down that he didn't have any sources that were with the team or with the player that were breaking this information for him to make public knowledge like directly. So essentially this was not coming from the Packers. This was not coming from Rogers. He had no direct source to them and he broke this anyway on draft night, which that's, that's pretty big news considering, you know, what happened in the fallout afterwards. And there's been a lot of mudslinging on both sides, basically saying that the Packers are a terrible organization. They won't help Aaron Rodgers out at every point, every turn. He's one of the you know top five best quarterbacks ever. And there's mudslinging on the other side saying that, well, Aaron Rodgers is this huge diva. You know, he he wants everything his way and he can't have it. He's he's still a football player. He's playing a kid's game. Like it, it's all ridiculous on both sides. Like, especially now that we know that there's there's no direct quotes coming from either side and that <laughs> Schefter, I'm not going to say he made it up because he, he definitely has sources out there. He definitely heard this from somebody, but uh, it he's been taking an absolute beating on social media, basically saying that he, he, he should not have released that information, but uh, not sure if this is the normal for how those stories come out or what happens. And if he just wanted to be the first to get on top of it before someone else did, but basically Instead of us having all this plentiful knowledge, it's basically back to square one where both sides know nothing about either side. So uh, it seems like it's staying behind closed doors, and actually I, I think both sides would prefer it that way. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date on that, uh, especially in our article that we have coming up here pretty quick. But in other news and notes, uh, Juwan James, the offensive tackle for the Denver Broncos, uh, actually tore his Achilles uh, working out away from the facility this off season. So basically with all of the protests, uh, I, I won't say protests, but the players holding strong on their stance that they don't want to have mandatory off season workouts. They don't want to have to work out at 
team facilities basically because that's more time that they get to stay at home and they get to work out with their coaches and their uh their trainers that they normally work with in you know eight months out of the year six months out of the year so uh, it definitely makes sense especially after how last year's offseason went where many of the players essentially had to work out from home because of covid and all the protocols established with that where they didn't really have much of an offseason and not much of a training camp and i think when you look at it, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that they, they really like that. They really liked being able to, you know, stay at home. I mean, if someone told you that you had to go into work every day for eight months straight, and then they came back and said, well, actually, you only have to go to work for six months straight or four months straight, and you get all that time back with your family and, you know, with your friends and, you know, relatives back home, everybody would love it, and you get to work with the people you're used to working with. So I can see where they're coming from, and especially – uh since it, it comes out, uh, you know, I was listening to Pat McAfee's show the other day, and they mentioned that J.C. Treader was on there and said that, you know, offseason isn't exactly what you think it is. It's it's full goal, and you're not wearing pads, where, like, a lot of these linemen are just, like, burying helmets in these guys' back, and they're, like, driving people down the field, and you're not wearing pads, and they're just kind of, you know, beating the snot out of you, and it, it just doesn't sound fun, and it's, you know, to get away from that, I'm sure players, especially vets, love it. I, I know the the rookies are going to struggle just because they that's you know less time that they have to learn the new offense and the new the new playbook and all this new stuff that they're not used to knowing just because you know they're new to the league. But it's it's a very interesting situation just because uh, I believe Juwan James is basically out a very hefty sum of money. It's in the you know the mid teens. I want to say don't quote me on this, but it's about nineteen million dollars that he's going to miss out on by basically getting hurt away from the facility. Whereas if he was working out at the facility, that's money that would have been in his pocket uh, come regular season. So uh, that that's quite a big amount of money. And it's, it's kind of got a lot of, you know, some of the bigger figures in the NFL uh, very worked up. I know uh, Mahomes weighed in on the situation and said that basically he, he should be getting paid. And that uh, Tom Brady, actually, I, I believe it was on Friday, uh, May 7th, had a very impassioned phone call. It was about five minutes where he apparently he gave a speech to the players union saying that, Hey, we need to hold strong on this. We need to stand our ground, uh, not just for us, but for everybody in the future as well. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting situation that evolves here down the road. And if the players can stay united, they can get a lot done, but it's, 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 I can see the detriment to both sides and the advantages to both sides. So We'll we'll have to stay tuned to that one to see where that one leads. But uh, Jawan James, you know, prayers up to that guy. He's he's gonna have to miss all of the season, especially after opting out last year, and uh, look to hopefully come back strong next year and hope he can stick to his organization somewhere. So uh, the last the last piece of recent information I wanted to dive into before getting to our state your case segment was going to be. Kerryon Johnson was actually waived by the Detroit Lions. So he actually broke their streak for longest time without a 100-yard rusher. Uh, this past year was the year before. I believe it was pa- this past year. And uh, he, a lot of hype always around Kerryon Johnson, but he just never could seem to st- quite stay healthy and basically man that backfield. And obviously with the second-round selection of DeAndre Swift last year, uh, the Georgia running back, especially showing out later in the year, combined with Adrian Peterson after carry-on was out. Uh, it it kind of had the writing on the wall there. 
his contract was picked up by the Philadelphia Eagles, so he'll have another shot to try to contribute there behind Miles Sanders. So it'll be an interesting situation there. I know Kenneth Gainwell was drafted as well, too, so uh, he'll be able to compete for backfield touches there, but best of luck to that guy out in Philly. So. So for our next segment here, we're going to start our new State Your Case segment where we basically put out a question on Twitter as to, you know, would you rather have this? Would you rather do this? And we have two to four options available for everyone to vote on. And basically what we do then is once all the votes are in after 24 hours, we'll take the answer that received the most votes and we'll argue in favor of that position and basically outline why that's the right answer, whether we agree with it or not. So for this week, the question was, what would you rather have? A, Justin Fields, knowing you'll have a new coach and GM in 2022, or option B, Mac Jones, knowing you'll have the same staff for at least three years. So essentially, you're looking at which quarterback you'd rather have due to their position. So... After that, the stats came in and 63% were option B for Mac Jones. So we're going to go in depth on to why that's the better situation that the quarterback's landing into. So basically, we're going to start off by looking at the New England Patriots depth chart, excuse me, depth chart situation. Uh, they actually returned return one of the better offensive lines in the league uh, with Isaiah Wynn at left tackle, Michael Wenu at uh, left guard. David Andrews is coming back after a year off at center. Uh, Shaq Mason at right guard. And Trent Brown, after spending a few years with the Oakland Raiders, is going to be manning the right tackle spot. So that that's a very high level. I know Michael and Wenu was, I believe, his second team all-rookie team last year as well as a six-round pick, which is impressive. And then Trent Brown was a pro bowler in 2019 with the Oakland Raiders. But in 18 with the Patriots is, is kind of when he made a name for himself and he ended up signing a big deal over there in Oakland. So the, the offensive line supporting cast is going to be able to help keep Mac Jones upright and do a good job of that. And then in, in, on top of plowing lanes for the running backs, which they are returning Damian Harris as a starter, Sony Michelle as a top contributor, with James White as kind of that elusive patch, excuse me, pass catching back out of the backfield. With Ramon J. Stevenson, who is the, the tank of a back coming out of uh, Oklahoma this year in the draft. So some other skill positions as well. You're looking at Nelson Aguilar, who they signed is in the offseason. Kendrick Bourne, another name they signed. And then returning Jacoby Myers and Keel Harry. On top of tight ends, John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, who are pretty solid receiving options. So it's a very different skill position group. I know PFF actually ranked their wide receiver room as the most improved in the offseason, which when you were throwing to guys like uh, Demetrius Bird and uh, Jacoby Myers and, and Keel Harry last year, it, it, it's tough to get worse than that. So the additions of Nelson Aguilar and Kedrick Bourne were pretty big for the New England Patriots this year. And then also part of the supporting cast is the defense because if you're, if you're always constantly playing from behind, you're asking a lot of your quarterback to start like chucking the ball down the field and doing all these extra things as well to help save kind of, kind of the game and do more than what they should be asked for. So when you're taking a look, you're seeing starters all along the defense on one of the top units where we'll get more into the stats here in a little in a second but you got like guys like JC Jackson and Stefan Gilmore outside and th those are two top corners I, I believe JC Jackson had like seven picks last year and you're looking at Stefan Gilmore former defensive player of the year who 
you know, he's getting on the tail end of his career, but he's still got a lot left in the tank. And they're bringing back guys like Kyle Van Oy, who spent a year in Miami, and Dante Hightower, who was actually an opt-out last year, plus Matthew Judon, who's a big-time sack artist coming out of Baltimore. Like, this this is a top unit that only added more ammo with guys like Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore, Henry Anderson. Like, these guys are going to be set up front. Like, there's there's no reason they're not in one of the top units again, especially with adding some depth. They got guys like Kyle Duggar still that's there, Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, and Jalen Mills, like, just – loaded all around like I, I am very confident in this unit they're going to be a top five unit again so when you look at that his surrounding cast is very favorable compared to what Justin Fields is going to be seeing in Chicago in my opinion uh, even though it's not quite the big electric names on offense that you're used to but the rest of the surrounding cast is pretty solid so next we'll dive into some of the team stats basically outlining kind of how the team finished and what what they do well last year as well. So when we're taking a look as a unit as a whole, the passing offense was was pretty abysmal last year under Cam Newton. Um, they threw for approximately you know two thousand eight hundred ninety yards according to Pro, Pro Football Reference here, and had only twelve touchdowns, which that ranks thirtieth and thirty first in the league for each number. On top of a net yards per average, or excuse me, net yards per attempt is about 6.1, which that's that's not very favorable either. That's a 23rd mark in the league as well. So it, they were very clearly limited as a passing offense. I know Cam didn't quite look the same uh, with kind of how he was throwing the ball when he came back from COVID. But e- even though on top of that, they've had productive pass offenses in the past under McDaniels and Belichick. So there's promise there that they're able to to move things around. But where it really is going to come out and that's going to be a, a huge help to Mac moving forward is going to be their rushing offense, actually, where they ran for 2,346 yards and 20 touchdowns. Marks that ended up fourth and sixth in the league, which is which is big time. It's A running game for a rookie quarterback is going to be a big time help. You're going to see a lot more heavy boxes, a lot more of – Play action passes, being able to attack down the field just due to single coverages when they're manning up on guys on the outside. So I think that's going to be a big-time help. I almost think that's more important than having a a productive pass offense built around him uh, just because of the reasons we mentioned. So big-time help there from the Patriots on their offensive stats. Uh, And even when you take a look, let me pull up their play action stats here. I know that... uh, Essentially what you're going to find for play action stats from last year is going to be uh, when Cam Newton was throwing the ball, he threw 368 times, 99 times were out of play action. So essentially that's just a hair over 25%. You're looking at about 27% play action. And for those numbers, he's getting 863 yards. So that's about a third of his production coming through the air as well. So that's a pretty significant number. Uh, and we'll get back to that in a moment when we get to max stats. But uh, for the offensive stats, those are some pretty uh, eye-popping numbers where it's a pretty weak pass offense, strong run offense. That's basically where they're building their pass offense off of as well. So when we take a look at the defensive side of the ball as well, as mentioned previously, they're, they're a pretty stout defense being able to give up not a lot of points. They were actually seventh in the league last year in points allowed. And then on top of that, as a passing or excuse me, passing yardage, 
they were giving up the eighth least amount as well at, I think it was about 3,557 yards is what pro football reference is showing. So eighth in passing yards allowed. Uh, rushing offense is kind of where they struggled a little bit when, it, when they gave up the 26th uh, most pet rushing yards to teams as well. So they're pretty weak up front. But as you can see, they they had a pretty big number of uh, changes up front with the Dante Hightower, as we mentioned, Matt Judon. They draft Ronnie Perkins. They have Josh Uche and Chase Winovich coming back on another year. Christian Barmore. A lot of big changes up front that are going to help try to take care of that run game. So basically, you're looking at one of the top units, giving up the least amount of points, adding numerous key pieces, on top of already having a strong season. To me, that sounds like a recipe for a top-five defense, even though in terms of points allowed, they were top seven as well. So it's it's a pretty stout unit. He's coming into a pretty good situation with an offensive line, running back room, wide receivers. It's a little iffy, but their tight ends should help make up some of that ground and a lot of 12 personnel. With a strong defense behind them, it seems like a perfect uh, storm here for Mack. So when we take a look at some of his stats, some of the most important ones I thought that I'm just going to highlight here when we're taking a look is going to be his yards per attempt. He had about 11.2 yards per attempt last year on all his pass attempts, which when you compare that to the like 6.8 that Cam Newton was having, that's a that's a pretty big number in my opinion. That's that's a big difference. That's almost twice. I know in when you say, oh, he, he's throwing to all these guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, they're the best ones in the league or the college football at getting down the field. Well, yeah, but he, someone's got to throw him the ball. Someone's got to be able to hit them when they get down the field. And basically, a lot of the outlets you read and you take a look at, they say he throws one of the most catchable balls. There's a reason why he's going out, these guys are going out there and defending him over Tua. You know, he's their guy. I know he's going to do that. But, I mean... He's not afraid to attack down the field. He'll push the ball down there, and he'll get it to your guy. He'll hit the open guy, and especially with the running lanes that he's going to see, it's pretty impressive. And even when you pull up his play-action stats as well, too, you're looking at that number only goes up. It's 12.7 at yards per attempt, uh, net yards per attempt. So that's crazy. Like You're getting twice the downfield production or potential with Max stepping in there. And when you look at his completion percentage, huge, 76% at Alabama as well, too, on play-action passes. I don't want to go into volume stats because volume stats, when you're trying to project onto the pro game here, doesn't make a lot of sense. But just kind of those trends where you see that, hey, he, he did this. This is how it can translate. So the next big part of the the synopsis here is going to be the Patriots coaching staff. So everybody knows Bill Belichick's at the helm. You know, he's pretty much grandfathered in. Robert Kraft is, I would assume, not going to move on from him anytime soon. It's it's kind of Bill's gig. So I put in the question that it's going to be three years. I wouldn't be surprised to see if Bill runs it for another four or five, you know, if not more, I mean, into his 80s. So his offensive coordinator pretty much has been Josh McDaniels for the extended period of time, except for when he was with Denver, obviously. And he for that small stint, you know, the couple months he's with the or the couple days he's with the Colts, but I mean you're looking at some serious stability in coaching structure around this guy. So he's not only gonna step into a room where the guys have been around for a long time; they're going to be around for a long time. 
you're also looking at a coaching staff that's able to kind of just tweak what they've got into who their guy is running the offense. So when you look at early years Brady's, especially like in the mid-2000s when he was really cooking, he's throwing to guys like Moss and he's throwing – he's able to push the ball down the field at a huge rate. Like him and Randy Moss had a huge connection. Like I believe Randy held the season passing touchdown record. And like we all know Randy is a huge deep threat. Like this offense – not only was able to produce something like that, but they also came back in the later, you know, twilight years of Brady in New England. And you see them able to kind of tweak it and do a lot of underneath stuff. You know, the James White's offense, the Julian Edelman's, basically where they're hitting guys underneath. They're hitting a lot of crossers, a lot of outlet passes. Like, they kind of were able to mold the offense into what Tom Brady was becoming because we're not saying Tom Brady isn't able to hit that throw down the field, but as you get older, you know, you get a little more stationary. You want to get, you know, get the ball quicker. So they were able to see that and kind of tweak their offense to match Brady's skill set. And even when we see it last year, when they got Cam Newton to come in, they were able to be super heavy run game, super heavy with like kind of quarterback power. They're able to really grind it out inside the trenches and, kind of hit some chunk plays off of that. And as Cam was limited as a passer and his accuracy just wasn't quite the same as what it used to be, we didn't see as much from their passing game. But they did show dedication to the run game. They showed that they can run the ball. They showed that they have some grinders up front, that they're not afraid to, you know, beat it out in the trenches and or excuse me, trenches and get after it. You know, that that's gonna open up some serious offense if you get a guy in there that's able to attack down the field. Well, you do lose a little bit of the element of the quarterback run game with Mac. You're still going to be able to hand off the ball. And, and the top offensive minds in the league, when you think of like Shanahan, McDaniels, and all these guys, they know how to run the ball. They know how to get the ball in their running back's hands and attack the defense. So I think that that's going to be, if not the most important difference between the situation in Chicago and the situation in New England, where you're coming into a, a coaching staff that – knows what they're doing. They're going to take care of you. They've been around forever. It's not their first time around the block. They've got Super Bowl uh, pedigree. And when you look at their offense, not only is it one of the – it's been at the top of the, the food chain here. They've, they've been at the top of the, the hill. They know how to adapt it to get back there. So I think that that's huge, especially when you're talking about a guy like Mac, who's he has a skill set a lot different from like Trey Lance and Justin Fields, and even Trevor Lawrence. Like you, you know, when he's in the same class as these guys, so I think that he could be successful here. You know, Josh McDaniels is going to scheme up a way for him to be successful. Bill, Bill knows stuff about offense. He's going to be able to help out. He's he's coached quarterbacks before. Like he knows what these these, these guys got to do. So. In my opinion, this situation is much more favorable than Justin Fields in Chicago. I think Justin Fields is a better player. I just think he's going to be a victim of the system. So I think the fans got it right here. 63%, like I said, think that New England's going to be a much more favorable situation. And I'm right on board, especially after we're, we're taking a look at here. So good call, guys. So that's all we're going to have for the show this week. Uh, to close out, uh, I just wanted to <laughs> jump in here quick and say that uh, I know I've mentioned Juwan James having a $19 million contract. It was $10 million. So b- before you guys, c- anybody comes at me on Twitter here, I just wanted to make sure I clarified that. But uh, just in, to close out one more time, uh, we're going to be doing our This Drafts on Us trivia giveaway. Uh, we'll be Venmoing the winner funds for a round of drinks on us. 
uh, if, you, if you're not a big drinker, that's all right. You can use it for something else. That, like I said, it's it's yours to use, but it first round's on us. So basically to enter, you'll have to follow our page on Twitter, DM us your answer, and then retweet the pin podcast on the page. So last week would have been the first one. This week, now it's going to be the second one will be pinned there. So the trivia question is going to be, who is the all-time leader in passing yards at Clemson? Once again, that was an honor of Trevor going number one overall. So make sure you let us know who is the all-time leader in passing yards at Clemson. And then to enter, follow our page on Twitter, DM us your answer, and then retweet the pin podcast. The winner will be announced on May 30th episodes. And once again, just a big thanks to everybody tuning into the episode here. Uh, Make sure you come back for episode three. We'll do State Your Case again, update everybody on uh, some of the recent findings and Like I said, we'll keep going on the trivia. So appreciate everybody's time. We'll see you next week.